Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Hi, hello, and welcome to Into the Breach. I'm Brian O'Keefe, uh, your co-host here, and joined by Jenna Usenheimer, my other co-host. How are you, Jenna? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm doing great. As I sit here and we tape this podcast, uh, the sky is blue, the birds are tweeting. It seems like spring is finally upon us, uh, Jenna, and the long winter thaw is, is over. So do you have any Big spring plans ahead? Anything that's on your spring agenda that you're really looking forward to? I'm going on vacation. Does that count? I cannot wait to go on vacation. <laughs> Does that count as a spring activity? Well, given this is the Reps and Warranty podcast, I'm assuming you mean your vacation to the Mohegan Sun in about a month, correct? Right. That's definitely what I meant. But after my fabulous vacation to the middle of nowhere, Connecticut, I am also going to Greece. And it is a long, much awaited, long needed vacation. So I'm looking forward to that. Mohegan sign. I mean, like what? I, I don't know. I think you it sounds like you're looking much. Sounds like you're looking forward much more to your Greece vacation than the Mohegan Sun vacation. So weird. So weird, isn't that? Yeah. <clears throat> I know. Well, th- that means that all of our listeners who will not be with you in Greece will just have to catch you at the Mohegan Sun vacation and uh, really show you what is truly the better time here as, a, as opposed to your other vacation. We'll just call it that. But um, Absolutely. But <laughs> all right. But we're happy to have with us today, starting our uh, uh, spring anew uh, uh, theme here, I guess. We're happy to have with us uh, a new guest, somebody who's not been on the podcast before, but somebody who we are very excited to have with us today. This is Mike McGowan. He's the managing director and head of MA of uh, the Americas at RP Underwriting Risk Point. Um, and we're really delighted to have Mike with us today. Thanks for joining us, Mike. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Really much appreciated. And Jenna, we uh, fortunately actually we will not be making uh Mohegan Sun this year because our entire MA team will be in Greece as well. So you'll have to let us know where you're going. Maybe we overlap. Well, how long are you there? What dates? Uh, so we're there the first week of May. We have our, our global yeah. MA offsite where we bring all underwriters from uh, around the globe together. Um, you know, typically ends up being in Greece. So we're doing it. It's the same week as the Mohegan Sun this year. So uh, I will be very, very sad to miss it. But yes, uh, well, we'll be sad not to see you in the team. So where are you staying in Greece? If everybody doesn't mind me <laughs> taking this little detour. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this year we'll actually be in Mykonos. So we're, we're looking forward. Okay, good. I'm going to Mykonos. So definitely let me know of any recommendations. We will, we will certainly sync up and, and okay. perfect. Okay, great. and on to business now. Well, well, I, I don't know. I think the I think the risk points priorities are mixed up if you're missing the Mohegan Sun for Greece. I mean, you know, that's uh, that seems uh, seems a scant, but Mike, we'll, we'll let that slide. So, but we're super happy, super happy to have you here, Mike. Uh, and uh, you, you've been a, a great friend and supporter, and we're really delighted to have you. Um, on the podcast. So maybe just to kick it off, I think uh, uh, just about everybody knows who you are, but maybe some folks out there who don't, if you just want to give a little bit of your background and uh, how you got to where you are and, and how you got into uh, transactional risk insurance. 
Absolutely. And uh, thank, thank you for that. And, and much again, thank you both for having me on the podcast. It's really been a pleasure, um, you know, getting to know you and work with you over the years. Um, you know, my, my background is so like, like many people in the industry, um, my former rather recovery MA attorney. Um, <laughs> I, that, uh, I think since my little part, I did have a brief stint in the reinsurance industry before I went to law school. Um, did not actually think that I would ever find myself back in the insurance industry, but uh, as, as luck has it, uh, this is a great industry to be in with a lot of phenomenal people. Um, so I started out my legal career um, out of law school at Vincent Elkins, uh, doing mostly M&A, some capital markets and fund formation work as well. Um, also spent some time in-house uh, as assistant GC of a company called Focus Financial Partners. Uh, they're a large aggregator in the wealth management industry. So I did all of their in-house M&A um, mostly RAs and broker dealers while I was there, uh, pretty fast and furious, uh, really entrepreneurial type of company. Um, and from there, uh, you know, I was looking to, you know, figure out a route where I could marry my, you know, my legal background with my, uh, my business background and really just a desire to, you know, take part in the strategy of the company. Um, and really, you know, basically get to use those skill sets, um, you know, together on, on deals. So I moved into the, the transactional risk space back in 2015 uh, at ACE uh, prior to the, their merger with Chubb. Um, you know, I was the first uh, hire uh, directly from, from the legal industry at that point. Um, and you know, at, that, at that stage of the industry was when the industry really started to boom. So it was when PE sellers started essentially preempting auction processes. Many brokers and underwriters who are now leading teams today came in uh, during that 2015, 2016 period. Uh, and there was really only a handful of brokers and a handful of underwriting shops that were out there. I think ACE at the time was only the seventh entrant. Uh, now we have, you know, depending on who you speak to, 27 or 28 markets in the U.S. Um, and, you know, things have changed a lot uh, since that time. Um, the market was still a bit immature, um, you know, really trying to find its footing. Uh, and it was a good time to be in the space and really, you know, help try to develop the underwriting approach and the methodologies, uh, you know, at a carrier and, you know, the world's largest carrier at the time, uh, helping build things up. From there, eventually, uh, I joined Excel Catlin um, to build up their North American team. Uh, again, that was prior to the AXA merger. So I've, I've been through two large insurance company uh, mergers now. Um, you know, I think that's, you know, two is good. You know, really, really great uh, time in my career. Um, you know, got to know a lot of the a lot of the industry participants that are still in, uh, in play today. Uh, you know, at that point, that was when the industry started booming and be and started maturing. A lot of new entrants moved into the space around the same uh, even six month period that XL Catlin came in. Um, and you know, essentially from there, you know, I had I had spent time at two large carriers. I'd spent time at a large law firm. Um, you know, I did have a little bit of a, an entrepreneurial uh, experience from Focus Financial, um, you know, understood the, the kind of the sales mentality that goes into building a business, uh, you know, the roll up your sleeves mentality. Um, and I wanted something that was a bit entrepreneurial for myself, uh, where I had more buy into the strategy, the direct growth of an organization from the ground up, not just a business line. Uh, so I spent some time during the pandemic, um, you know, really soul searching. Uh, trying to figure out where my next step would be. Uh, the MGA route, from from my perspective, makes a lot of sense, specifically for the specialty lines of business, such as the M and A lines. Um, and you know, started speaking to to RiskPoint. Uh, I knew of RiskPoint given Axe's relationship with us in Europe, um, and I reconnected essentially with the the European heads, uh, Nikolai Jupschlin and Art Reinhardt. Uh, Nikolai's uh, based in Oslo, Art in Zurich. Um, after several months of getting to know each other via Teams, uh, obviously since we were not able to meet in person at that time, uh, decided that it was really time for me to, to make the next move. Um, you know, we incorporated the U.S. entity, sent the, set up the PEO in December 2020, 
Uh, and then I joined as the first and only employee in North America <laughs> at 21. Um, it's a, you know, very, very interesting and, uh, you know, fun ride since then. First and only well, employee, what was that like? Uh, you know, it was it was a totally different time. I mean, I was uh, essentially working in a phone booth at a, at a WeWork. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah here the WeWork is significantly upgraded. There's kombucha on tap, I hear now. It's very fancy. It's 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 not it's not bad. I say we've and we've upgraded our space. I think six or seven times now. So we're we're probably yeah. nearing the end of our tenure. But I, you know, uh, a shameless plug for WeWork. It's definitely been a phenomenal uh, place to work, and you could grow grow your business uh, or the rather the office space grows with the company. Um, so it's really flexible and that's been something that's been great for us here. Um, but essentially, yeah, I was, I was the only person at this WeWork on this floor during the pandemic, <laughs> my, my, uh, WeWork anywhere pass. Uh, it was to such an extent that when I would get up from my desk to go to the bathroom, all of the lights in the, uh, the conference areas were off. So, you know, essentially it was only, only monitoring my presence as I walked through the hallway. Um, so it was, you know, it really, you felt, <laughs> Uh, the fact that you were starting something up, um, you know, but the the good thing is that, you know, working with RiskPoint overseas and uh, right. you know, having the resources abroad, you know, I never actually felt like I was on my own. Um, and it was something where there was a lot of work to do in order to get this off the ground. I mean, there was obviously getting the capacity on board, but there was also the full-scale operational build-out, uh, you know, IT, eventually hiring the team, you know, drafting all the forms. Uh, a lot of the, 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 the aspects of, you know, building the business that I had from Excel Catlin, you know, that was actually the easy part. It was the other aspects, um, you know, regulatory and things like that, where, you know, I had to essentially learn a little bit of it on the fly and obviously utilize the right advisors to assist along the way. Um, and that first six or seven months was, you know, really, uh, you know, just by myself in the United States doing that, obviously with uh, Nikolai Arndt and the rest of the, uh, the risk point team assisting. So it was a, you know, really an interesting time. And then we hired the initial uh, underwriting team of uh, three individuals uh, back in the summer of 21. And then we launched the platform in October of 21. And it's been essentially off to the races since that time. That's, yeah, that's fantastic, Mike. And I, I love hearing the story. And I, I, we also have a similar entrepreneurial uh, bent here. And so I think we um, really appreciate that, uh, you know, how, how this kind of came to be and uh, can also certainly, um, uh, you know, understand the soul searching during the pandemic. Uh, well, we had started our practice before that. It really uh, we did a lot of soul searching during the pandemic, and, and that's really the time period is also whenever our practice really started uh, to take off. So we can certainly understand um, those sentiments. But um, maybe for our listeners, if maybe you just want to explain a little bit about um, Risk Point. We understand, you know, it's a global platform. You have underwriters in in you know many other jurisdictions, but maybe a little bit about Risk Point and how your North America operations sort of fit into that that global footprint. Absolutely, yeah. So, so risk point, uh, you know, for those who don't know, so we are a, a large global multi-line managing general underwriting agency or MGA. So, um, you know, the nuances obviously of an MGA versus a carrier is that we uh, underwrite um, and have claims control on behalf of our carrier partners. Um, but we are essentially one of the largest MGAs in Europe, um, and obviously growing globally. Um, and we are, we do operate in in most business lines of insurance. So, you know, some of your traditional lines, your PNC lines, uh, accident health, uh, but the specialty lines of risk point are really our bread and butter. Um, so M&A uh, being our largest line by revenue um, and growing by headcounts. Uh, you know, financial lines liabilities, which is a pretty broad umbrella that includes ENO, DNO, cyber, IP, uh, you know, general liability, product liability. Uh, that is, you know, the largest line by, by headcount of the company. Um, another growing global uh, group is our renewable energy group. Um, 
you know, we, we have a, a pretty big presence there now um, that will, you know, most likely in the very near future move into the United States and North America as well. Um, and risk point, the way that uh, the company has grown, it's, you know, our history goes back to 1917. So Hanson and Klein, our ultimate parent company uh, was, was formed then the three current, uh, you know, co-founders of, of Riskpoint as it exists today, essentially, you know, bought it out in 2007, uh, rebranded under Riskpoint. All three of them are, are Danes that uh, came from AIG, and they really started this business, you know, essentially in their kitchen. Uh, they went out, they bought a coffee machine uh, and went off to the races, you know, trying to build a, a business. Uh, and, you know, from there, you know, now today we have over 195 employees across, you know, 12 to 15 different business lines. Uh, operating in 11 countries and soon to be 12 countries since we we just incorporated our Canadian entity. Uh, we also have you know more than 25 carrier relationships um, you know across all of our lines. Um, and the goal is really to continue building uh, you know building in that in that way uh, you know with a, a smart strategic approach. But once we have committed to a line and committed to a region, then we then we really put a, a lot of efforts into it. So MA is the the way that we typically you know plant a flag in a region. Um, you know, that's how we've done that across Europe, um, you know, now in the United States, uh, more recently in Asia Pac, um, and, you know, we will be doing the same in Canada shortly. And so this huge international operation that you have standing behind you, how does that set risk point America apart from your competitors? Yeah, so one of the, you know, one of the things that I considered and, and really thought about when I was, uh, you, you know, deciding to come over to RiskPoint also is that, you know, RiskPoint from, you know, from my, from my research and experiences was the only, uh, you know, long tenured established MGA in the M&A space that was not operating in the United States um, at the time anyway. Um, so, you know, coming in, RiskPoint has been doing M&A lines of insurance since 2014. Um, they already had over 20 underwriters operating across eight or nine regions. Um, and, you know, having that experience across all these jurisdictions, you know, having a, uh, a global uh, chief operating officer just for this line, um, you know, looking across our carrier relationships, how they vary by region, looking at the coverage and how that varies by region. You know, it was it was a really uh, unique opportunity to start building a North American business that was already established overseas. Um, you know, most of the MGAs that are operating in the U.S., uh, and that are, you know, they're really good, started in the United States and then have moved overseas. You know, this is the first time an established MGA was moving into the United States. So, you know, with that, we take probably more of a global approach than many others. Um, you know, one of the reasons obviously we're doing, you know, these, these, these large offsites is, is to make sure that the team is truly, you know, very much integrated. Um, we also have all of our underwriters speak on a weekly basis on, on global calls. Uh, and we're split up into regions with regional heads, and all of us are also aligning constantly. So, you know, we look at the nuances of policy coverage across jurisdiction. We look at our, you know, distribution and relationships with our brokers, uh, law firms, and even private equity funds across across the pond. Um, and then, obviously, we look at we look at claims from a from a global standpoint as well. So, I think I think that does set us apart. Um, you know, we look at it. We essentially have the scale and the resources uh, and the legacy relationships of a large carrier, um, but really with the nimbleness and innovative approach of some of the more agile. MGA. So I think it kind of marries the two. Um, and, you know, I found this platform to be, you know, successful, um, you know, in that regard. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. That anything, all... uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Is, is there anything in particular that you've been focusing on with the North America group, um, like any particular industries or deal sizes for, um, you know, insureds out there or brokers who might want to be working with you? Like, is there a particular sort of uh, deal that, you know, you've been really trying to, you know, kind of focus on, I guess. 
Well, I think one thing that, you know, does set us apart, you know, obviously we have the ability to look at, you know, deals that have cross-border elements, whether it's targets operating different jurisdictions or, you know, cross-border buyers. So that is something that sets us apart. But I would think, um, you know, we spend a lot of time at the front end. Um, we have a pretty comprehensive, you know, pre-underwriting review to get to an NBI. Um, so we do look at every deal uh, a bit in a vacuum. Uh, and because of that, we don't initially count something out because of an industry or uh, particular industry or particular, you know, nuanced area of the deal. You know, we do really dig in at the pre-underwriting stage. And when we put out a quote, you know, we have assessed a lot of the different aspects of the deal. We we want to make sure also that any type of diligence expectations that are out there, that we are tele, you know, uh, telegraphing that to the brokers and to the ultimate insured so that there's no, no surprises. Um, and, you know, we're realizing that this is a, it's a service industry. Um, so we obviously need to be there not just to provide a product, but also to facilitate the deal. Um, and because of that, we put a pretty labor intensive approach, you know, from the, from the underwriting and then in the claims in order to make sure that everybody's happy with the product, you know, from a, from a portfolio consideration, I mean, we, we do operate in, you know, like we call the, the broadest middle market. So, you know, deal sizes as small as, you know, 20, 25 million, um, you know, where there are still, you know, Good, good deal aspects that are operating there um, up to the, the 3 billion or, or so deal where we will lead towers um, that are in that regard. We're not necessarily trying to compete on the mega transactions out there. You know, obviously there's not that many these days anyway, um, but you know, not necessarily trying to compete on those and not trying to do all the very small deals. Um, and we're still built, we're still in build mode in the United States a bit. So, you know, we do have 12 people now across underwriting claims and ops in the United States. Um, but obviously, as we continue to scale on the RWI side, that gives us additional ability to uh, to look at different deals in different jurisdictions. Um, you know, we do have on the ground tax expertise now in the United States as well. Um, so really making a concerted push toward, uh, towards tax. Uh, and then our appetite globally for contingent is also growing. We just hired a head of, well, we, uh, about a year ago, hired a head of contingent in, uh, in the UK, you know, growing our appetite in the United States, also looking at secondaries deals. You know, we would like to be able to, you know, issue insurance on anything um, that's out there, you know, obviously if it fits within our underwriting criteria, some of that just requires a little bit more scale. But, you know, up until now, we've, we've been pretty successful as, uh, at targeting deals that, some underwriters may initially count out if they're not digging in as much on the pre-underwriting stage and we're able to, to get comfortable or essentially box in the risk uh, in a way that works well for the client as well as the carriers that we represent. Well, that's all very helpful and I'm sure our listeners are finding this um, very interesting and helpful for their decision-making when they're looking for an underwriting job. So is there anything else that you wanna share or make sure that you tell everybody or you want our listeners to take away from this conversation with you about risk point in America or Canada or anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, I would just say that the, you know, the way that RiskPoint goes about, you know, building a business and in, in this industry in particular is, you know, once we commit to a line or commit to a region, we are, we are here to stay. So, you know, we are not necessarily, you know, specifically top line focused and trying to, to grow this as quickly as possible, but we are trying to grow it in a very meaningful way. And, you know, everybody from the top down at the company is focused on the MA lines of insurance. So, you know, the three co-founders and CEO himself is directly involved with the growth of the U.S. business. Um, it allows us, obviously, to, to pivot um, as well and adapt to the market as needed because we have that ability in-house uh, to, to have those discussions and then, and then move where we need to and make decisions to essentially branch out into a space or a region when necessary. Um, I would also say, though, that, you know, some of the, the questions that I've gotten when, when starting this up as, you know, being considered a new market in the United States, even though risk point is not a new market, uh, is just the questions that we get are on the on the underwriting team and, you know, who is on board. 
uh, on the carriers that are backing us on claims on all of these aspects. Um, and you know the the team that we have currently on the ground, most of our our, our underwriters have uh, you know significant experience in the industry, either being in the industry directly, coming from M and A backgrounds. Um, you know we have specialist lawyers uh, and staff that come from essentially all industries. We have in-house accountants. Uh, in the UK, we have uh, in-house litigators as well. So we do have the ability to rely on those resources. We're also willing to answer questions to the brokers and distribution partners, even if we're not on a deal, um, to help assist them with their sales to the market. Um, you know, we are definitely a, a sales first organization as well. We we like to work with private equity funds and strategic buyers whose investment methodologies that we understand. So that's something where, you know, we could really dig in and understand the investment methodology of a particular client. It allows us to get comfortable quicker on certain aspects of the deal on, um, you know, industries that they're operating in. So, you know, we, we take a pretty labor intensive approach to, to looking at things. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, deals in a vacuum, but also looking at the geopolitical factors and other things that are there and trying to anticipate where deals are going to come in. Um, you know, on the claim side, we, we already have one of the, the most well-resourced claims teams in the industry. We have six dedicated uh, claims practitioners in M&A operating out of three different regions. Um, with, you know, the, I think everyone has over 10 years of experience at a minimum. Um, we also have proprietary in-house tech platforms. Uh, essentially, we've developed our own CRM for deal tracking, for invoicing, for, uh, you know, for workflow management. Um, you know, we have our own rating tools, our own compliance modules to, to assist with our carrier management. And most of the carriers that are on our panel, uh, we're in the U.S. currently, everyone is A+, and most of those carriers also have been in this space for a long time. So on the back end, you know, while the, the underwriting should be top-notch and we should be facilitating a deal to the uh, to the client's expectations on the back end with claims, it should also be extraordinarily seamless. Um, you know, there won't necessarily be any hiccups that some other uh, or you know startup markets may have. And these you know experiences that I also had necessarily starting up things at, at carriers. So you know, we we've seen all those pitfalls and learned. Uh, you know, individually learned. Um, you know where pitfalls can happen, and we've tried to get ahead of that and be very proactive in building this business. And that's something that allows us to build this foundation, which now we're just trying to strengthen over the over the next few years. And I guess I can add that at least from where Brian and I sit, your underwriters are some of our favorite underwriters in the market. So I don't know if that's a point in your direction, but you get A plus from <laughs> we, us. We appreciate that. You are our favorite underwriter yeah. as well. Thank <laughs> you. Say a specific name because he wants to shout out. So we really like uh, Nick. Nick has uh, been a fan of, we've been friends with him for a long time in this industry. And he uh, is a loyal listener as well and uh, offers us um cleaners and, and other tips about things he thinks we should do for the podcast. So, uh, so we, we just had to throw him out there. So, all right, yeah, Mike, well, that's been a the first guy on the team. So, you know, always, well, that's been a great overview of, of risk point and all the strengths that you bring to the table. And, and I'm sure that our listeners appreciate um, hearing that, but now we will break into our Shakespearean part of the show here. Our, our final <laughs> section, once more into the breach, which are our, Three questions, two of which are the same for every guest, and the final one, which is a mystery question that you do not know about yet. I'm going to kick it off today. So um, the first question we have here is, now, what's the biggest change that you think we're going to see in transactional risk insurance in the next 12 months? Well, let's see. There are changes that I want and hope to see, and there are changes that we, you know, hopefully will not see. Um, you know, the answer either way. Yeah. As yeah. everybody that's that's been operating this industry at least since 2020 has seen, you know, it's been an absolute seesaw. Um, you know, with rates, coverage, retentions, people moving into the space, and it's been a an interesting time for for new underwriters, obviously, also to move into the market. Uh, and 
you know, see how things can go from hard to soft very quickly um, and, and change on a dime. So I think that at least from what I've seen through Q1 of this year, it does seem to seem that things have stabilized a little bit. There's been a lot of new entrants that have come in. There are still more that are coming in. Um, so it may be not completely done, but I think at this point, you know, hopefully rates have stabilized kind of where they are to, you know, to a large, a large standpoint. Um, you know, retentions dropping is, is another aspect of, of this, which is new. Um, you know, retentions really have not dropped in the same meaningful uh, way since probably 2016, I would say, um, you know, where they were 2% and then dropped to, to 1%. Um, so, you know, I think at that point, from my, from my standpoint, things are stabilizing a bit through going into the second quarter. I think the, the issue has obviously been that deal flow has slowed a little bit. But, you know, I always take that with a grain of salt because while deal flow is slower now than it was in 2021 or even the beginning of 2022, if you look back over the last 10 years, uh, 2022 is still the second highest year on record. Um, and, you know, I think that this year is, is slow from, you know, from the standpoint of a submission flow, uh, but there are still deals out there. Um, you do have a lot of brokers that have moved into the space as well. So I think disaggregation of distribution has been a very big positive from my standpoint in the market. Um, by, I count, by, by our count, there's at least 52 brokerages that are drumming up uh, transaction risk business, uh, more than 350 individuals of those brokerages. Um, you know, we do try to work with everybody and make sure that we have relationships with everyone. So I think that there are a lot of deals out there that, you know, may or may not have been, um, you know, captured by the market in the past, which are being captured now. And I think that there's a lot of private equity dry powder on the sidelines. I mean, you know, most MA practitioners that you speak to will say that, you know, they have a lot of money. They've got a lot of funds that are being raised uh, or that have been raised. Um, and that capital will de be deployed eventually. So, uh, you know, whether that happens at the back half of this year or it happens going into next year, that's hard to say. I think if the, you know, geopolitical factors finally stabilize at some point, which maybe they don't, um, uh, you know, maybe banks start stop failing and, you know, we, we stop dealing with a crisis every year of the 20s, then that, that maybe uh, the deal flow picks back up and it's similar to the back half of 2020. I think that that's a possibility. So I think right now, um, you know, where underwriters and brokers and everybody should be doing is, you know, continuing to, you know, continue to solidify their distribution, continuing to uh, fine tune the underwriting approach and, and fine tune, um, you know, the approach to the business um, and ensure that you're, you know, strengthened uh, so that when things pick up, you know, everyone can, can execute on it. And I think that, you know, at least through the end of 2021, you saw that there was a, a vast over demand for this product and not a supply of underwriters to meet it. So I think right now the <clears throat> the industry has at least met the demand of the 2021, and that demand right now is just not as high as it as it needs to be. So I think that you know we'll we'll also continue to see you know more brokers gain traction. There's been some pretty major moves that have happened recently. I do think we're going to continue to see an uptick in tax and contingent submissions. Um, you know, there's probably going to be an increase in secondaries deals as there already has been. So I think you know, all of this, if you are, if you have a, a wide net and are looking at, you know, all of these different facets of the M&A lines of business, um, you know, the industry will continue to grow from my perspective. So, you know, I'm a little bit more bullish on the industry. Um, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of challenges um, and there certainly may be some capacity or industry consolidation amongst, amongst players. Um, you know, at some point in the near future, but otherwise, you know, I think it's a healthy industry that is, is just mature now um, and meeting the meeting the demand that's out there. Great. All right. Well, that's a that's a great answer. And then uh, the second question that we ask everybody is, what's one piece of career advice you would give uh, to somebody who you know might be looking to get involved in this industry? 
So I think it, it does depend uh, based on where you're coming from. So I think the, you know, the, the overriding um, advice that I would give is, you know, whether you're coming from a law firm or, you know, a tax or accounting background and moving into an underwriter um, or moving into claims from a litigation background, you know, I think the, the, the first piece of advice is really just to specialize in that aspect of your career. Um, you know, having the technical skill set, um, you know, and again, whether that's on the accounting financial tax side of the, uh, or legal aspects of the business, you know, really becoming a, uh, a very good tactician from, from your current situ current spot is increasingly important. Um, but then also, you know, trying to gain insight while you're doing that into the big picture. Um, because eventually, if you do move into this space, you know, you will also be not just a tactician, but also to a certain extent, a salesman or a businessman, uh, specifically more so if you're on the broking side, but on the underwriting side as well. Um, and the biggest advice once you're in this space is to develop relationships with people right away. Um, you know, when when I moved into the space in 2015, um, most of the brokers or other underwriters that I was speaking to had, had joined within, you know, six to nine months of myself. You know, all of them now are in, you know, high level positions at, at other uh, at other shops. Um, you know, the industry has grown very, very quickly, but it will continue to grow. Um, and if you, you know, if you have that mindset and you develop those relationships early right away, you know, those relationships will grow with you. Um, and whether you grow in your current uh, underwriting shop or whether you branch out, whether you become more entrepreneurial, you know, I think that's, that's really important. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is insurance. It's still very much a relationship business. Uh, and in times of increasing competition, that, that is what typically sets people apart. So, you know, I think, you know, those are the, the areas that I think people should really focus on, you know, if, if they want to get in the space and once they're in. Wow, we agree with that, absolutely. Okay, and now our final question is our mystery fun question, so exciting. So uh, one of your underwriters recommended to Brian and me that we should take into the breach on the road and we should film live at an offsite location. I wonder where he got that idea from. So with all of your vast international offsite traveling experience, where would you recommend that we take into the breach live? So does this have to be a current uh, region of underwriting and deal flow or any region? No, we, we don't care. Any region. <laughs> I mean, if you go to Antarctica, I mean, you know, we understand that, you know. I would so. totally go to Antarctica, yeah. Well, I mean, you'd be more than willing to, or more than welcome to join one of our offsites. I mean, do, we do have uh, offsites in some pretty, pretty fun European locations. Um, but I, I have mean, definitely been waiting for an invitation to your offsite. That was not my question, but I'm very happy to have received <laughs> it. We've yeah. been trying, 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 and now it's on the forever. We have it, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, I, 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 th I think it varies. Obviously, somewhere warm is always, is always appreciated, but I think Agreed. a lot Agreed. of people glance over and maybe don't travel as, as often, at least for the United States, is really the Nordic countries. Um, and we are, we're a Nordic company at the end of the day, you know, having been, you know, several times now to Oslo and Copenhagen and Stockholm and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the areas up there, you know, there is something very special about those countries um, and the people that are there and just the, uh, you know, the, the natural elements that, that are there. Um, you know, we did actually our, our full risk point kickoff also in, in Iceland uh, last fall. And that was something that was absolutely, yeah, it was really the, the team building that we had, you know, hiking on glaciers and volcanoes and things like that was, you know, second to none. Um, so it's something where, you know, not necessarily going straight to a, a big European city or somewhere where, where everyone has been, um, but going to some of these other other areas in the Nordic countries that are absolutely beautiful, where the people are fantastic. Um, I agree. Uh, it's, it's really, really nice. So I think if you if you were to uh, to do this uh, somewhere external, we'd be happy to host you in one of those areas. And uh, I think you know it's beneficial too because there's also a lot of M and A activity and business that that happens. So 
that's that would be my recommendation. Um, if you're just going for you know for fun and uh, you know totally totally off the cuff, and I would, I mean my one of my personal favorites is Peru. Um, you know, I had a, I had a, a great trip there. Um, and you, you get to see a lot of different regions in, you know, like a two week period. So it's almost like you have a couple of different trips at the same one. Yeah. Well, I agree. I've been to Iceland and Sweden, but I've not been to Norway. So maybe we could pack it up and do a fjord special episode. Oh yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. 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 Thought, Did you hear yeah. that? Cyberth Shaw, Power Zephy. We want to take us. We want to wow, take it on the road. Really, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Into the <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. much. Yeah, this is a great episode, Mike. I know that our listeners uh, really appreciate uh, hearing more um, about Risk Point. And, you know, we've just been delighted to have you on the show. So thank you so much again for for joining us. And, um, you know, we, of course, wish you the the best of luck uh, with continued success. Absolutely. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It's been it's been a lot of fun. So I really appreciate it. And looking forward to obviously continuing to work with you both and the entire SafeHearth team. Thank you. We're sorry to miss your your team at Mohegan Sun, but we'll see you soon, we hope. Of course, we'll have to get together in New York soon. Yes. Yes. Great. Well, well, Jenna, we we finish another show with um, Iceland and fjords and all kinds of things that, I mean, I don't know, that was was not where I thought we were headed, but um, I guess we (laughs) now have a new location that we can go to here, so. Yeah, I'm excited. I know, I am too. So, all right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us here on this latest edition of Into the Breach and until next time. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Cyfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by the lawyer publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.